Good morning. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Uh, what a great morning for worship. Beautiful day that God has blessed us with, and so glad you're spending some of your day with us. One of the things we love to do here at CCC is we love to celebrate um, when God gives clarity about what is it God is calling us to do. And I often will say to parents, one of the best gifts you can give to your kids is to help them discover who they are and God's unique gifting in their lives. And as they get clarity about them that move towards that, we want to honor and celebrate that. And so it was just uh, not quite three months ago that one of the young ladies in our church just felt God clearly calling her and directing her to uh, to commit her life to serving our country, and we prayed for her, and so we want to do that again with one of our young guys. Um, so Dustin, why don't you come on up front with your parents, Bob and Doreen. For those of you that don't know, Dustin, um, uh, he graduated from Cocalico uh, High School last year and uh, has been spending this year in preparation and will be shipping out this afternoon to be represent our country in the United States Marine Corps. So I want to invite any of our staff and elders that are here in this service, if you would come up, if you've served in our military in any branch, would you come up and join us on stage? We just pray for Dustin and his family. So come on up if you've served in any branch of our military. Uh, there's a few of you out there. Come on up front. And um, I want you just to be able to be here and be a part of this So as we pray for Dustin and this new venture that God has called him into. Um, one of the cool things that we had a chance to do in the first service is uh, Dustin said to me about a week ago, he said, you know, John, he said, would you pray for me as I had. And he also said, I would love to be baptized, but I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I said, well, we'll make it happen this Sunday. So in the first service, Dustin shared his testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ and how God had called him into this, uh, this place and that he was trusting God to lead him uh, to be a light um, and to be used by God in this new calling that God has in his life. So would you join me as we lift Dustin and his family up in our prayers? God, we, uh, we just thank you for Dustin, and we thank you for the life journey that you have brought him on. As he shared in the first service, just trying to figure out his identity and where he fit, and slowly coming to understand that you have an amazing uh, plan for his life. And uh, as this plan takes a, a new turn and a new step to serve our country, um, God, we are so honored and proud of him. And um, we thank you for his, not only his devotion to you, but his desire to um, be a light. And be, a, and be salt wherever you place him and wherever you land him. So we pray for Bob and Doreen. We thank you for their love for their son. We thank you for um, their uh, faith journey, even over these last few years, that has walked with Dustin through his high school years and now into this new season. So we just ask that you would be with them as well. So thank you, God, for this young man. And uh, we know that your hand will be on him. And we look forward to hearing how you use him. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Well, it's awesome to see. God at work in the lives of uh, our young adults, and as we um, see God leading Dustin, and, and uh, I'd encourage you, when you get a chance, um, to ask him a little bit about a story that he shared before he was baptized. It's really, really powerful, and 
Um, another one of our students that graduated uh, last year from, uh, from Cocalico is Eric Guthridge. And we asked Eric if he would come this morning and just share with us a little bit about what God's been doing in his life and uh, the journey that he's been on. And so Eric decided last year after, uh, after he graduated um, that he wasn't exactly sure what was next. So he decided to kind of take a, what's become known as a gap year. And, uh, and decided to just kind of wait and see what God had for him. And so, Eric, can you just tell us a little bit about why you, um, why you decided to do that and what God kind of led you to in that, in that year? Uh, yeah, I graduated in 2016, and um, yeah, my, my original plan was just to go to school, and, but I knew that there was something more for me before I went to school. Um, you, you always hear in church, like, relationship with Jesus. You hear that spoken so many times, but I, I just didn't know what that was. I didn't know how to get there. I was like, I want that, but uh, how do I do that? And um, so I decided after some people spoken to my life and just different people, um, I decided to go do something called Youth of a Mission um, or YWAM. Um, and the first step with anybody that enters into Youth with a Mission is a six-month um, training and outreach called DTS, or Discipleship Training School. Um, so I went to Kona, Hawaii, and for three months, it was, we studied the, um, yeah, we, we had speakers come in every week, and they talked on different subjects ranging from the Father, Heart of God, to the Holy Spirit, to Faith and Courage. And then for the second uh, portion, we, uh, we go to something called Outreach. So what did you do, and where'd you go when you were there on, on outreach? Um, so where we went for outreach then was my school. We had five different options, and about week in week two, they presented us the options and told us to pray about it. And God clearly was telling me to go to a, a nation called Kosovo. Um, Kosovo is in Eastern Europe. Just imagine Greece, and go about two nations uh, north. Um, it's a pretty small country, about 1.8 million population. Um, Majority Muslim, about 95%, and missionaries say there there's about 600 believers. That's 1.8 million with 600 believers. Um, so that's where God led, and actually, as time went on during our lecture phase, God opened a door for us to actually go to Greece as well. So we actually cut our time in close to Kosovo, and we went to an island called Lesvos. And if you hear anything in the news or anything about refugees coming from Turkey, Lesvos is the first stop for these refugees from Turkey. So we served in that camp for about three and a half weeks, and yeah, so that's what I did. So when you came back, we, you know, we kind of reconnected, and you were sharing with me a little bit. Can you just kind of tell everyone this morning a little bit about what God kind of did in you and in your heart? You, you said you went there kind of seeking you know, more in your relationship with him, and um, so what did, you, what did you get out of that time you spent there? What did you do in your heart? Yeah, I, I tell people two things I got out of my DTS, and the first one is being able to believe things about myself that I've always wanted to believe, but I never could. Um, and the second thing is just a hope for the future, and just to come to an understanding that like God is for me, and the, the desires that he's put in my heart are actually God-given desires, and he actually wants to walk with me in those desires. And just knowing that has given me, one, a peace, and one, just to be able to take the next step of faith wherever that leads, trusting that like he wants to fulfill the desires of my heart and he wants to walk with me. So, yeah, those are like the two biggest things I got out of it. So, 
Yeah, and as we were talking when you came back, one of the things that I noticed that was different in you when you came back from, from how I knew you before you left was that as you kind of grew in that relationship with God, it really started to stir up or probably better said expose some passions that were down in your heart that maybe had been hidden and, and now were coming out. So what are, what are some of the things that you just saw, some of the passions you saw growing in your, in your heart uh, while you were there? Yeah, one thing that was super crucial for me in high school was, was people like Tim and my small group leader um, just being one-on-one and having one-on-one discipleship. Um, and that's actually something that God has more been speaking to me since I've been back, but that's something that he's given me a passion for. Not necessarily that I know it all and I'm still working on my, on my walk with Jesus, but to be able to walk beside young guys in that. And another thing is in doing that, I, I have this just innate desire to see people walk into the fullness of a relationship with Jesus. I say people, not just believers, but like other people to understand the fullness of who he is and be able to walk that out and not just come and surface level Jesus, but actually to be able to dive in and understand what he has for their life and also um, that following him is actually the most fulfillment you can have. Not actually, The world will tell you all these other things, but actually following him is what fulfills you. So those two things in particular. That's awesome. So when Eric and I connected, uh, I think over lunch, and he was telling me about this experience, one of the, I don't remember, it was not very far into the conversation. He's like, hey, what can I do? I need to, I need to do something. I want to serve. And, uh, you know, some of those passions that God was stirring up with him, he, he put them to action. He jumped into our middle school ministry and started connecting with students there over the uh, last few months. Um, this summer, he's serving in Studio 252, which is our elementary environment, and uh, working with kids there. And last week I was at a, at a camp with some of our high school students and I just was listening to them talk and I heard them telling stories about, uh, about uh, you know, going out and doing crazy things that high school guys do like jumping off cliffs with, uh, with Eric Guthridge. And what they were talking about wasn't that he was wild and crazy and jumping off cliffs, but what they were talking about was how he connected with their friends and friends that they had from school that, that they went with them and even just other people that are around them and just watching Eric move towards people and it left an impact on their lives, and that actually God stirred that up in their lives last week. So it's really cool, Eric, just to see God at work in your life and, and what he's doing in you and how that's already having an effect on the people around you. So that's really awesome. So what, what's next? You kind of took this year, you did your DTS, and now um, that's always the question for young adults is, so now what? You know, so what, what do you feel like God's leading you into here just in the next few months? Yeah, when, when I was on outreach, uh, I I really felt like God was telling me to go to school. And I was like, okay, I didn't really expect that, but I thought that that's where he was leading. And through some different instances, he started showing me a school. And I was like, okay, I'll go visit the school. Um, So I visited the school. I was like, that's great. Uh, I applied, and I was like, God, if this isn't where you want me to be, then just close the door. And he did. And uh, um, so I was like, okay. What's next? Am I supposed to go to school somewhere else? And um, I still had this desire to learn more, and I desired to go back to YWAM in some capacity. I wasn't sure what that meant. There was a few different opportunities. So after some prayer and a divine encounter where I met somebody, um, there was I'm actually going to be going to Switzerland, and I'm going to be doing a three-month school called um, a biblical core course. And what it does is it takes 12. We take 12 weeks and we study 12 different books of the Bible. Um, it has an emphasis on one-on-one discipleship, which is something that has been on my heart a little bit and some other things that also are. Um, and another really cool thing about it is it's 
It's a biblical core course on location. So what actually, for the first four weeks, we're going to be studying in Switzerland. And then actually, we're going to actually be walking Paul's missionary journey from, from Egypt the whole way to um, Italy, skipping Syria, uh, which is probably good. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, so that's about six weeks, about eight days in each location and just studying the word. So if you had told me a year ago that I'd be going to Switzerland, I probably would have told you to take a hike. But yeah. <laughs> Well, Eric, that's awesome. I appreciate you just sharing what God's been doing. We love to celebrate and to hear God at work and how he's doing that in people's lives. And so I appreciate you sharing. Would you guys just keep him in your prayers as uh, we'll let you know before he heads out again. But keep him in your prayers and and the rest of our young adults as they're um, looking to step into what God has for them next. And really, that's a prayer for all of us as well no matter what age we are. And so would you guys just join me in thanking Eric for sharing what God's been doing in his life this morning? Well, another opportunity that some of our young adults, they like to be known as young adults because they're still in high school, uh, have, for, uh, have coming for them is, uh, is a group of our juniors and seniors are going to be heading to Haiti on very, very early Saturday morning. So I'd like to ask any of the team that's here, you see the picture there, but any of you that are on the team that are here, if you guys would just come up on stage, we want to take a moment and just um, pray for this team that's heading out, and uh, we will be heading down to Haiti and serving with uh, my Tar Ambassador Church, that's the church we call, generally call Pastor Robbie's Church, and a church we built a relationship with over the last several years. And uh, last month, if you guys recall, you guys can just come on over here. Uh, as you guys recall, last month, that was the emphasis for our uh, June's uh, generosity. And uh, you guys gave very generously. We're excited to take that gift of over $6,000 down to their church to help them um, with the debt that they have on their land there. And so we're going to be taking um, seven students and six leaders with us on this trip, and uh, this is a few of them, um, not the whole team, but the guys are passing out prayer cards there. We'd love to ask you just to join us, not just praying this morning, but um, all throughout the next couple weeks, and especially the days while we're there. This group of students are going to be stepping into some new things, and they're going to be teaching and leading small groups and uh, and, and leading the, the craft times and the, the outreach that they this church does for uh, kids in their community, their summer outreach, and so uh, they're expecting about 250 kids. And so we're excited to come alongside the people of the church there in Haiti and uh, to join them in, uh, in ministering to the, these kids. And so um, keep, please keep this group in your prayer. One of the things that uh, is huge for students in this is a, a chance to go to a third world country and see a couple things, see a different way of living um, and see a different economic level uh, than maybe they've ever seen in their lives, as well as to see God at work in, uh, in a different culture. All right, and it's something that's just totally different than what they know and what we experience here uh, in our culture. And so it's just a, a, a huge eye-opening trip uh, for anybody that goes, not just the students, but um, obviously we design it for them. So would you guys join me this morning as we pray for this team that's heading out this week, and please keep them in prayer throughout the trip. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And God, all that we've heard and done this morning is because you loved us first. And God, I just pray that you would Um, Just be with this team of students and the leaders that are going with them as they step into something very, very new and very different for almost all of them. And God, I just pray for eyes that would be open to see you at work, even though it may look very different than what we know and understand. And God, I pray that you would give them um, hands that are open and ready to, to jump in and to serve and to show your love that you've shown them to 
whoever you bring across their paths. And, and God, I pray that their hearts would be open, open to what you want to do in their lives through this trip, open to, uh, to know you more and to know your love more and open to let that pour out of them into the lives of others. And, and God, we just pray that you would take and use this opportunity uh, and help them to, to know you more and to know themselves more and to show that same love to everyone that they come in contact with. And God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing. And thank you that we just got to celebrate that this morning. And we look forward to continuing to see you at work in the lives of people here and around the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, great to see some of our young adult guys taking these big steps that God has for them. Um, Just always excited when we see men step up and to see these young adult men take these steps that God's calling in there, as well as our students, and uh, can't wait to see what God does through all of them this summer. It was a few years ago when our offices were down in Five Pointville. I had been working late at night, and I had an armful of things, and I walked out the door, and as soon as I heard the door click, this is before our programmable door locks, I knew I was in trouble because I had left my keys inside, and I had left my phone inside, and now I was locked out, and it was 1030 at night in Five Pointville. And um, so I remember there was a phone booth in Five Pointville. And so I walked down the phone booth in Five Pointville, but it didn't work anymore. So that didn't help. So then I remembered there's some people in our church that live in Five Pointville. So I started walking through the town of Five, uh, the little village of Five Pointville. And I walked past this house. No, their lights are out. Walked to the, oh, that's right. They're away on vacation. Walked to this house. Oh, there was a light on this house. And so I knocked on the door. What I didn't know is that the family had taken their children, their one child somewhere, and they had called their mother to come and stay at the house. And I didn't know that. And here I'm a total stranger knocking at their door at 11 o'clock at night. And they looked through the window and they didn't answer the door. I wonder who that strange guy is. So um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I had like kind of casual dress shoes on. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to walk back to Denver. That's eight miles in these things. And I was out of options. I was out of options. I was stuck and I did not know what I was going to do. And nobody likes to run out of options. Nobody likes to run out of options when you can't figure out what you're going to do and your options. And nobody likes when that when we're faced with that. Nobody likes to run out of financial options. When you know there's a bill to pay and you're not sure where there's money and there's no money in the checkbook and you checked all the, underneath all the couch cushions and there's no money and you're not sure what you're going to do to pay that bill. And Nobody likes to be out of options. Nobody, nobody likes to hear a doctor say, we don't have any more options. Don't know what we can do. No one wants to hear those words. And often when this happens, we feel exposed and vulnerable and weak But the truth is we just feel helpless is what often happens to us. You know, it's cute when a little child reaches their arms up because they can't do it on their own and they want your help. But when an adult reaches their arms out, we often find ourselves thinking, what's wrong with them? What did they do to get themselves in that situation? They probably deserve it. And when our attempts run out, our our strategies don't work, we run out of solutions and options, where do we go? Where do we go? It's often in those moments that people do turn to God. People do turn to God. And the cool thing is, is that when I run out of options, God loves to show up. When I run out of options, God loves to show up. And this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Judges. 
entitled Never Give Up. And we're going to see this come to play in a very different way because we're going to look at the story of a guy who didn't run out of his options. God actually took away his options, and God still showed up. Uh, the book of Judges is a, is a book of stories in the Old Testament um, that are written after the people of Israel, the Jews, God's promise, God's chosen people. They had come into the land of Israel called the promised land. And God had provided for them to be there. And when they moved into this land, the, the, uh, they were led by a military leader named Joshua. And Joshua fought all these battles. God fought for him. And they defeated all these enemies. And their commission after they defeated the enemies is they initially made their entrance in the land. They were divided into 12 family units, 12 tribes as is what they were called. And so they took the land, they kind of carved the land all up, and they said, this tribe gets this part, and this tribe this part, this, and everybody got their portion. And the commission to each of these tribes was, as you move into this area, whatever foreign nations are there, you need to move them completely out. Um, because if you don't, the things that they believe, the gods that they worship, will slowly become woven into the fabric of your lives. And you see, God, the God of the Bible, is the only God that says, only me and no one else. Only me and no one else. All the other religions of the ancient Near East in many places today said, sure, you can have this God and this God and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we'll mix it all together. God says, no, 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 no. Only one God and only one God to worship. Well, unfortunately, the people of Israel did not listen to that advice, and they did not drive out these foreign nations. They left them there. And what happened is over time, they slowly began to um, create cruel oppression for the people. And this cruel oppression would come, they would cry out to God, and God would come and bail them out over and over and over and over again. And so that's what the book of Judges is all about. And the reason that we're in this series is we don't want to forget where God has brought us. Because a couple of years ago, we were sitting in a Mennonite gym, and we thought we knew what God's plans were, just like Eric did. And God said, nope, that's not my plans for you. My plan is over here. And God did an amazing thing to bring us to where we are today. And so um, we don't want to ever forget the journey that God has taken us on. And so we're spending time this summer looking at these stories, see what we can learn and draw from them. And so last week, we began looking at this guy by the name of Gideon. A judge by the name of Gideon. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, that's where his story begins. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the seat in front of you. It's page 194, or follow along your phone or tablet. Um, but we met this guy named Gideon, and Gideon was a guy, he didn't really believe in himself. Um, he was the youngest of his family in the smallest tribe, and he's like, ah, who, can, who am I? I can, what can I do? I can't really do much. And um, God says, well, I, I have a plan for you. And Gideon's like, who are you and why are you bothering me? You aren't here helping us, we're suffering. See, in Gideon's mind, if they're suffering, God's nowhere in sight. And one of the first messages God had to get Gideon to believe was that God was there, that he was with him. Because until he believed that God was there and God was with him, Gideon was facing an impossible situation. And until he believed God was there and God was with him, there was no way for him to see something that was impossible would become possible. So if you're there in Judges chapter 6, uh, that's where we're going to pick up the story. Actually, verse 33 is where we're going to pick up the story. And so this is what's happening. It says, The Midianites, Amalekites, and all the eastern people joined forces across over the Jordan, camped in the valley of Jezreel. So these are some of the nations that they didn't drive out. and They joined forces to oppress 
steal, rob, mistreat the people of Israel. And so this is happening kind of right in the middle of the land, right where that yellow arrow is, and is where this has taken place. And so all these tribes, all these, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they gather on this, this big field near the Valley of Jezreel. It's a huge, wide-open region. And the, the story, as we looked at it last week, said there was troops as far as the eye could see. It was like locusts covering the ground. And so in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet, summoning the, Ab, the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet him. So what was taking place in this part of the story? Well, they were in the Valley of Jezreel. That's where the, the Midianites and Amalekites had set up shop. And what Gideon did is he contacted all the tribes around them, and Asher, and Zebulun, and Naphtali, and Manasseh. He said, guys, there's a battle coming. And so he called all of the, the other tribes, got their warriors together, and they met up on a hillside, um, and they looked over the valley, and they were preparing themselves for this battle that was about to take place. And so as they're preparing for this, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Um, this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, this only pops up a couple of times in the Old Testament. Uh, there's just a few occasions where it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone, and they did something supernatural. We're going to see that with another judge uh, later named Samson. But once you get to the New Testament, this whole idea of God's Spirit coming upon someone, the Bible says that when you place your faith in Jesus, that God's Spirit comes to live within you and lives in you for as long as you live on this earth. And so it's very different. The Old Testament and New Testament, there's some things that were different. The New Testament is just on occasion the Spirit would show up. And this was one of those occasions where the Spirit showed up in Gideon's life. And Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you have promised... I want to just pause there, because if you weren't here with us last week, let me just tell you a little bit of what happened last week. So, so Gideon is the youngest guy in the smallest tribe, and God shows up and says, I want you to do something significant. Gideon said, not me, you got the wrong guy, you got the wrong guy. And, and the angel says, well, um, what do you need me to do to show you that you're the right guy? So they brought this food out, and the angel torched all the food, and then vanished. Well, that was almost enough to get Gideon's attention. But he realized it was God. He realized it was God. And then he says, okay, I'll go and do what you want me to do. And then he went actually and he killed his family's prized stock, the breeding bull. And then he wiped out the family altar, kind of the thing that the family treasured the most, and sacrificed the bull on it to God. And um, all the extended family, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And his father stood up for him in an amazing way. So you saw this act of courage and this act of faith on the part of Gideon. But now as he's ready to go to battle, as the troops are massing their forces, what does Gideon say? Gideon says, if... Sorry, I went a little fast there. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand. If. Gideon's back to being unsure again. You know, it can be real easy to badmouth Gideon, but um, I don't know about you, but there's times my confidence and my faith in God wavers. I don't like the fact that it wavers, but it can waver. Some of you after the service last week came up to me and said, you know, John, that was really challenging to me, and there's some, something God, I, I feel like God wants me to do, and I've just been kind of been uncertain, but I really feel like God wants me to take this step. And I would venture to guess that this week some of you were wavering. 
And that was Gideon's experience. He says, God, if you're going to save Israel, here's, here's the deal. I'm going to put a piece of wool on the floor, and if there's dew on it and the ground is dry, then I'll know you're going to do this. So God says, I want to put you, or Gideon says, I want to put you to the test, God. And um, guess what? That's exactly what happened. He got up the next morning, he wrung out the fleece, a bowl full of water, and the ground around it was dry. So one would assume that Gideon's ready to go, but he's not. He's not, because he says, God, God, please, can we, can we try it one more time? Can you try it one more time? He said, this time, let's reverse it. Let's make the fleece dry and the ground wet, because, you know, maybe the ground was wet all around it, and, um, you know, the fleece was, the fleece was, that's how the fleece got wet, so let's reverse it. Because that, you know, we all know what happens at night, right? Everything outside, it gets what? Wet with dew, right? Exactly. A few years ago, my son and one of his cousins over, and they were going to sleep in their fort outside overnight. And so I was like, all right, guys, I'll see you in the morning. And uh, so the next morning, they're inside in the basement on the couch. You know, that always kind of happens, you know. But I said, what happened? They're like, well, it got kind of hot and stuffy in the fort, so we just took our sleeping bags and laid on the ground. And... Um, no tarp, no tent, nothing, you know. Middle of the night, they woke up. They're completely soaked, you know. <laughs> Sleeping bags are soaked. They're soaked. Came inside, changed their clothes, and went down and slept in the basement, you know. So Gideon's like, well, maybe there's another way to do this. And so guess what? God did exactly that. The fleece was dry. The ground was wet. And, uh, you know, as I, as I thought about this with Gideon, I thought, you know, God is just incredibly patient with Gideon incredibly patient um you know Gideon goes through three rounds of debate with God Gideon watches God torch all this food Gideon then says well what about this and what about this and so you're kind of wondering okay what's next Gideon that God's going to have to do for you to believe that and as I thought about Gideon's fear I thought what was Gideon's fear what was his fear his initial fear is God's going to be with him but I wonder if his fear is will God show up will God show up because his, his, they had been under oppression by the Midianites for seven years. I mean, literally any crops they planted, the Midianites waited until the crops were ready to harvest and they came in and stole them. Any of their livestock that were visible, they were hiding them in caves, they came in and stole them. So like, God, where are you? Where are you? And so the question is, is, is God going to show up in this situation because he felt like God was absent and he was all alone? And so... Gideon got to the point of saying, you know what? It's time to go to battle. It's time to go to battle. And so early in the morning, he got up, and all of his men, they were camped in the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. So they were all camped up on the hillside. All in that valley were all of the Midianites and Amalekites, all over 130,000 of them. And God said to him, he said, you've got too many men. He said, I can't deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel will boast against me. My strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So if 10,000 remained and 22,000 left, how many did he start with? Okay, a little math question here. How many did he start with? 32,000, right? That's how many he started with. And so he's got 32, you know, 30, 32,000. The Midianites and Amalekites, we're in the 130, 150,000 they're about four to one underdogs, okay? That's what the odds are right now. But he just shrunk his force from 32,000 down to 10. So now we're up down to about, you got that, Jeremy? Like 13 to one odds, you know, that's somewhere in there, okay? You know, 
um, trying to figure out what those odds are, and he just shrunk his force. But notice why he did it. He said, if I don't shrink this force, what is Israel going to say? He's going to say, I did this. I did this. My own strength has saved me. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but our capacity to save ourselves um, is pretty high. It's pretty high. We have the capacity, we have the resources, we have the know-how, we have the brain power to solve a lot of our problems. But God says, I don't always want you solving your own problems. Because when you solve your own problems, guess who gets the credit? You do. You do. It's ironic that Gideon, who was paralyzed by fear, God says, I want all the people who are afraid to go home. But Gideon, you're staying. You're staying. But God wasn't done. He said to Gideon, there's still too many. Take them down the water. I'm going to thin them out. If I say they got to go, they got to go. If I say they stay, they stay. So how's he going to go about doing that? Well, he took the men down the water. He said, separate those who lap with their tongues as a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So there's the lappers and the kneelers. And 300 of them lapped like dogs. And how many were kneeling? 300 minus 10,000 is what? 9,700. So some of you are like, what? I didn't come to church to do math. You know, 90... <laughs> 9,700 got sent home. So we went from 32,000 down to 10,000 to what are we down to? What are we left with? 300, right? The odds went from 4 to 1 to 13 to 1 to 450 to 1 are the odds. Sent 90% of the troops home. You know, in Gideon's story, he didn't run out of options. God took all of his options away. God took all of his options away. And God does that sometimes in our lives. Sometimes we try and it doesn't work. We try this, it doesn't work. We try this, it doesn't work. And sometimes we recognize, man, God just took that one away. He just took that one away. He just changed that one. Sometimes it's God taking all of those options away. And so the Lord said to Gideon with the 300 guys, I'm going to save you. He said, let all the others go home. And so it's the night before the battle. And uh, you know what it's like the night before something big happens? You know, night before a big event, night before a race, night before a, you know, a wedding, or night before a graduation. You can't what? You can't sleep, right? So it's the night before. You can't sleep. And so what does God do? God says to Gideon, he says, I want you to get up, go down to the camp, because I'm going to give it to you in your hands. He keeps reminding, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he said, if you're afraid... To attack them, go down with your servant and listen to what they're saying. So God acknowledges his fear again, if you're afraid. I don't, think, I don't know about you, but if you're, the odds are 451, I think there would have to be a little bit of fear there. Um, and he says, go down and listen to what they're saying. And afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So this is God's instruction. Go down, listen. Afterwards, you'll feel better about it. You'll be ready to go. So Gideon thought to himself, what do I have to lose? Odds are pretty high right now. What do I have to lose? So Gideon goes down, and as he's going down, the writer reminds us, the Midianites and Amalekites had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. The camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. How many of you have been to the beach this summer? How many are going to the beach this summer? Okay, you guys aren't beach people. The first service is all the beach people. Um, but if you go to the beach, try to count a few grains of sand. He said there were so many camels 
They couldn't even count them. As thick as locusts, as far as the eye could see, these Midianite Amalekite troops were there. So Gideon goes down, and he arrived outside someone's tent, just as a friend was telling him a dream. He says, I had a dream. So what was the dream? He says, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling in the midnight can. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now, how many of you had had someone tell you a dream, either your kids or your spouse or a friend, and, and you're like, and, and, and you hear that dream, and what do you usually say after you hear one of these dreams? That was what? Weird, right? That was bizarre. How did you get that person and that person, that dog you had 10 years ago, and this house you lived at when you were five, and they're all merged in a dream? What in the world? You know, and you just kind of say, well, that was a weird dream, right? That's often what we say. But listen to what this guy's buddy did. The guy's buddy said, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. <laughs> How in the world did Gideon get on the front page of the Midianite press? How in the world did that happen? Uh, Gideon was the youngest kid in the smallest family, and all he did was kill a bull and wipe out an altar, and somehow the camp knows who he is. And they not only know who he is, but they think God's going to use him to wipe out the whole camp. Where did they hear that from? And by the way, how did Gideon find that tent out of 135,000 men and be outside that tent to listen to it? How did he find that tent? It's kind of puzzling, isn't it? But God said, I want you to go down to the camp, I want you to listen, and you're going to walk away encouraged. You know, when we run out of options, when we don't know where else to turn or what else to do, God loves to show up. And he does it in ways you scratch your head and can't believe it just happened, and the only credit you can give is to God. And that's what happened to Gideon. And what was Gideon's response? Gideon's response was, God, you're amazing, you're remarkable, you're unbelievable. And he worshiped God right there in that moment. Had a little mini worship service right there in the moment. And then he got back and he said to the troops, let's go, guys, it's time to get up and go. We're going to win this thing. And he went back and got up his troops and told them uh, what was going to happen, divided the company into three groups, and he gave them trumpets, clay pots, and torches. And the troops are wondering, when did we go to band camp and art class? Where did they get 300 trumpets from? I don't know. Did they tell everybody to bring your trumpet from home or what? You know, Clay pots, that's understandable. That was kind of the part of every home would have pots like this. But Trumpets and clay pots? Come on, what in the world is he talking about? With torches. And he divided them all up. And then look what Gideon says. Watch me. Follow my lead. And do what I do. And this is the guy that was the youngest guy that was afraid literally of his own shadow, that couldn't even believe that God could use him in any way. And he had to keep asking God for more and more confirmation. Is it you, God? Is it you, God? Am I really supposed to do it? Are you sure? Are you sure? And now he says, follow me, guys. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. Um, there's a lot in the story of Gideon. We're going to see some of this next week that isn't real admirable. But this is one of those moments that you want to capture in time. Because this is a man who just a little earlier did not believe he could do anything significant. Did not believe he had any worth or value. 
But when he came aware of the presence of God with him, and he believed that the power of God was going to lead him, he was willing to step in front of others and say, let's go. Let's go. And we talked about this last week. When I believe God is with me, the impossible becomes possible. And when there's no other options, God loves to show up and he wants to give you the faith and the courage, whether it's to lead your family and say, this is what I think God wants us to do. Whether it's to lead your business and say, this is what I think God wants us to do. Whether it's to lead a couple of your, your good friends and say, this is what I think God wants us to do. And have the courage to step up and lead. Gideon did in this moment in time. What did God do? He said, guys, when I blow the trumpets... Camp will bow yours, and we're going to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. He divided the guys up into three groups. Three groups. It's the middle of the night. It's pitch black. Completely dark. Troops are changing watch. As the troops are changing watch, there's troops coming and there's troops going. As the troops are coming and going, suddenly, without any warning, the trumpets, the trumpets sound. And then the clay pots shatter. And the torches are seen. And these guys are so confused, they cannot figure out what in the world they are doing. And they're blinking their eyes, just like a bunch of you were, you know. And all they see is guys with swords right outside their tent. You know what they did? They grabbed their swords and they went outside. And as soon as they grabbed their swords and went outside, the text says that they started to, uh, oops, we're a little bit ahead. There, there it is. That says that the men started turning on one another. And they literally killed each other. They killed each other. And they took off running and they raced away um, and he called the other Israelites, and they went out and pursued them, and they chased them down, and we're going to see what happens next week when they chased them. But who would have predicted? And, and I don't know where Gideon came up with the, you know, the trumpet clay pot sword I, torch idea. That never says God told him that. He dreamed that one up on his own. You know, that's a pretty creative one. I've got to give him that. You know. But if you think about what God used, God didn't use a mighty warrior. God didn't use a confident leader. God used a scared, uncertain, hesitant young guy who said, but I know God wants me to do this, and so I'm going to take this step of faith and do it. And do it. I think that's one of the things that energized me about seeing these, these young guys who just say, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, but I know this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to take this step of faith, and I'm going to do it. And I believe God's going to do some significant things in and through their lives. And that's what happened with Gideon. Um, you know, when I was standing there on that street in Five Pointville, and it was dark, and I didn't know what to do. I was completely out of options. And I'm like, God, I don't know what in the world. How am I going to get home? Somebody walked out of their door with a cell phone, and they walked towards the street, and I said, hey, I'm... You know, I got locked myself out. Any chance I can use your phone and call somebody? And they said, oh, sure. Gave me my phone. And my wife's like, who is this number coming up? You know, fortunately, she answered it. You know, um, that was just a little thing. That was just a little thing. 
But I think what you, when you look at your life and you find yourself out of options, God loves to show up in just amazing ways. When you find yourselves out of options financially, God loves to show up. Regardless of why you got there, He loves to show up. When you find yourself facing a difficult loss, um, you know, I just talked to someone who lost a family member this week and two months of just being with them on their dying days and there's nothing they can do. And I wonder how God showed up for them. And my wife and I wanted to have another child and we couldn't and we did all kinds of tests and we were told, I don't know how you had your daughter, but you're not going to be able to have any more kids. And we didn't have the money for other options. And we didn't know how God was going to show up. But he did. He provided financial resources. He provided a mom who wanted a family to love her child. And he provided a son. On our doorstep. day after he was born. So when you're out of solutions, when you're out of options, when you're out of your strategies, is when God wants to show up in your life. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. Um, look what he said. He's talk, this is Paul writing. He says, this is what God said to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? What's he say there? My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Weakness. When I'm weak, when I'm helpless, when I'm out of options, that's when God's power shows up. He says, that then I can boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power rests in me. See, what Paul discovered is he said, the thing that's more powerful than me boasting about the things that I do is when I acknowledge my weaknesses, my helplessness, my limitations, and God shows up in my life. I mean, for some of you, you're out of options. You're facing a situation and you're out of options. Some of you, there might be options on the table. And maybe what God's saying to you is, can you just set those options aside and let me show up and make one of those things happen instead of you taking care of it yourself? Because for many things in much of our lives, we're able to solve our own problems. But we miss out on the power of God when we do that. Are you willing to wait for God to loving show, lovingly show up in your life? I wrote this statement. I said, what if we stopped endlessly trying to find more options and instead decided to wait on a God who loves us to just show up? Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Father, as we look at the story of Gideon, um, God, he, he was down to next to nothing. 300 guys with trumpets and clay pots and 
some of us this morning, God, are kind of down to nothing in some areas in our lives. And, and uh, we're desperate for you to show up. But some of us, God, we keep trying to find other ways to fix things, to solve things, to make things better. And, and we're pretty good at it. And we keep, we keep pushing and we keep trying and we keep suggesting. And, and God, I just wonder if for some this morning, they just need to take a step back to put their activism, dial it down a few notches and say, I'm just going to sit and wait for God to show up. Because I want to know and experience the power of God in my life in a way that there's nowhere else I could give the credit except to Him. And so God, I pray for wherever we're at in our journey that the faith of Gideon would stir in our hearts the power of God, the presence of God showing up when there really is hardly any other option would deepen and strengthen our faith and our commitment to follow you, Lord.